This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. We are living in strange times. Border closures, empty shelves in stores, people silently hurrying past, working from home. So much change in so little time. No, I didn't see it coming. I'm a person with a disability, used to asking for accommodations. I often hear it's too complicated or expensive. And then COVID-19 changes life for all of us. The accommodations I had battled for are now readily made available for able-bodied people. Now, that I definitely didn't see coming. Examining this revealing moment in history might lead us to form conclusions about the inherent value placed on the lives of disabled people. But things can and must change. Today, we discuss a trending hashtag, accessibility for ables. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. AMI is committed to the health and well-being as well as the safety of its staff and the people that they serve and the wider public. So as Canada deals with an outbreak of COVID-19, this and some other future shows will all be taped remotely. That is to say that I am working from home. But this show is in addition to being taped remotely, also being pre-taped a couple of days before the airing of the program. If you hear some construction noise in the background, I apologize because, pandemic or not, it turns out that construction is ongoing in downtown Toronto, which is where I live. I think at this time, with so much rapid change and so many evolutions in society, with so many things happening that we weren't even aware of a week ago, Telecommuting, people working from homes in large numbers, students having access to online classes and programs, with symphonies putting out live streams of their concerts and libraries making large amounts of materials available for free to patrons and to others, it's an interesting time that we live in. But I think if you're a person with a disability, For all the changes that we're seeing, some good, some bad, and some somewhere in the middle, I think it's really important to keep our critical thinking hats on. And my guest today is someone who's quite adept at doing that. I'm speaking to disability rights activist Kate McWilliams, who is the creator behind Accessibility for Ables, a hashtag that's been trending these past couple of weeks on Twitter. Kate is based in British Columbia and manages the blog Kate and CRPS.com. She joins us now by phone. Kate, welcome to The Pulse. Hi, Dorita. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you, not least because you're probably the only other person I'm going to get to talk to today besides my husband, yeah. <laughs> because I am practicing social distancing. So, Kate, I am as well, yes, and I may or may not go. be in my pajamas as well. <laughs> So there you go. I mean, it's an interesting time that we live in. You live out in British Columbia. What has life been like for you these last couple of days? 
Yeah, I mean, it's been changing drastically like it has been for everybody else. It seems like exponential change every day at this point. You know, I'll, I'll be talking with a friend about something I saw on the news and then they'll say, oh, no, no, that's changed or the, the number of cases has gone up or what have you, you know. So it's I live in a in a rural place. I live on Salt Spring Island. Um, so we're an island of, of 10,000 people in between Vancouver and Victoria. And, um, you know, f- the f- last week, a lot of people were saying, oh, yeah, it's happening, but it's not going to affect us on our little island, you know, because we kind of, we're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Or, <laughs> you know, in, it's very, like, nice rural island life. Um, but then just within a few days, it you know, now our hospital has been, you know, sending out press releases and and people have changed their tune pretty pretty drastically. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm happy about that because I am immunocompromised as well. So I've been self isolating kind of before I thought I need needed to. Um mm-hmm. just in case, you know. So it's it's changing all the time, really. But yes. some yeah, so some of the big things are the the BC ferries. They're allowing um, passengers to stay in their cars now in an attempt to help. And we're expecting news anytime now. This hasn't come down yet, but we're expecting them to maybe stop more more and more sailings. Mm-hmm. Um, schools are closed indefinitely. Right. Uh, you know, our libraries closed. Basically, everything is closed. <laughs> so that's right. Now, Kate, um, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to weigh into the politics. I know you said you you follow the news. I think we all are nowadays. How do you feel the provincial government in British Columbia has handled the situation? You know, I I think they've done pretty well. They just declared a public health emergency yesterday. Um, and our, our provincial health officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry, she is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been very clear and calm and collected and easy to follow, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am happy with how much, um, like on CBC News, that just the coverage alone is very um, all-encompassing. Like it, it really is helpful when I need to, when I'm, when I want to know something, I really can find it right away, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been helpful. And I think the provincial government is is kind of acting as fast as they can as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they even, on, on the radio, they even discussed, for example, how many ventilators we have in each health region. And they, they're really just answering people's questions, which I think is helping the public a lot, kind of helping ease the tension a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, when I hear clips of Bonnie Henry on the CBC, I often find, I would say exactly that. She's a very calming presence and very reassuring. And it's been nice to see uh, medical practitioners at the front line in terms of disseminating information. Speaking of disseminating information, Kate, I want to turn to your hashtag, Accessibility for Ables. I love to ask people who have trending hashtags. This particular question, when you put it out in the world, or at least into the Twitter sphere, did you think it was going to take off the way it has? Uh, not 
Not really, but I, I also... I also knew that there was a lot of talk around the subject, and I recognized that it, you know, I was, I just happened to be on Twitter that day, you know, when a lot of people were talking about this, and I noticed right away, oh, there isn't a hashtag, okay, we got to organize, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and then it just, luckily, everybody kind of saw that right away, and then that was our means of communicating. So, no, I didn't really. It, it did come come organically, I think, just because I was kind of right there at the right moment, you know. Maybe you're just being modest. How about that, huh? Yeah, uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the other thing is, Kate, I'm not going to lie to you. I thought the same thing because suddenly we were all allowed to work from home and there was, you know, the University of Toronto, which is my alma mater, and they don't close for anything, uh, suddenly canceling classes and putting courses online. And I was thinking, wow, they've managed to make all of these accommodations with no mess and no fuss for able-bodied people. So I was thinking the same thought as you, but I didn't take the step of putting it out on Twitter. Why did you want to, what is it in your life that sort of pushed you to take that additional step and try to organize a community around this? You know, I, I just really love the online disability community mm. and they've helped me so much in my personal life as well, just just mm-hmm. you know processing things and i've and i've learned so much from from the other disability activists online um that it's just a couple well about a, a couple years ago i just decided you know i want to really be a part of and contribute to this community that i get so much from mm-hmm. you know like i i want to be a part of it as well and that's where i want to dedicate my time Because, yeah, for for a lot of us, that's, like, online activism is is very important. And for a lot of us, like, that's the way we can do it. That's our accessibility tool is to use Mm -hmm. online platforms. That's very well said. I'm speaking to Kate McWilliams, who is behind a trending hashtag on Twitter, Accessibility for Ables, also manages the blog, kateandcrps.org. So, Kate, tell us a little bit about the reception to your tweet. I know there's a lot of people with disabilities who rallied around what you were saying, um, around accommodations being readily made available for able-bodied people, uh, as opposed to the, the the hoops and the loops that people with disabilities have to jump through uh, on, a, on, a, on a regular day. Uh, did you get any pushback? Was anyone critical? You know, I not really. I got maybe three tweets out of all of them, you know, um, of able-bodied people just essentially saying, um, this is really serious, so why are you talking about anything else right now? You know, which I agree with them. COVID-19 is extremely serious. and But because of, you know, the nature of how these accommodations are, are being made so without a doubt and so just you know instant like within Mm -hmm. a week you know and Mm -hmm. this was this was starting this started a a few weeks ago before people were really self-isolating as well like you know they were really on it thankfully but still they were they were really on it so it brought up so many complicated emotions for disabled Mm -hmm. people and that's that's the feedback i was hearing 
Yeah, and um, it's a uh, so in terms of uh, in terms of your story, can you tell us a little bit about what you might have experienced firsthand in the, for the accommodations that you might have asked for, gotten pushback, and now you're seeing those very same things being readily made available for able-bodied people? Well, I have a good one. The recent, the most recent one. I mean that that has happened um, a few times in my life already. Like uh, I mean, for a lot of disabilities disabled people that's that's the case we know it but uh most recently because i've been more serious in activism i decided i was um ready to formally study human rights mm -hmm. and and disability studies um so just in the last few months i've been checking out the programs and seeing where i can go and what i want to do and there were a few disability studies programs in canada that just refused to accommodate, like just wouldn't even, wouldn't even entertain the idea of accommodating me online because the programs aren't, aren't designed to be online. The programs are, you know, in real life in the, in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So even a disability studies program, <laughs> you know, they sent me back on Twitter. I basically said they sent me back like a no and a shrug emoji. That was oh it. <laughs> like not even not even a conversation. So I approached it like, "Hey, what is your um, accommodation protocol? How do we get started in this conversation?" And and every university, you know, they just said the classes aren't offered online, and that's it, basically. So that just happened. And one, I mean, I've only seen, I've only looked for for one university, but I'm sure at this point pretty much all of them are canceled or virtual. But one of those disability programs are, uh, right now, everything is virtual. Exactly. And that was so within a week. It was always doable. <laughs> it was just two months ago that I, that I wrote yeah. to them, you know. Yeah. That's pretty shocking. When you think about instances like this, are you and other people with disabilities who are active and wanting to see change happen, are you looking to document these uh, these discrepancies, for want of a better word, so that when all of this is done and over with, you can actually have a better, stronger position to advocate for accommodations for individuals with disabilities? Yeah, so pretty much right away, once the hashtag was out there, um, see, this is why I love disability Twitter, <laughs> exactly why. There, there were... Um, there's a woman who started a what she's calling a digital paper trail, and it's exactly that. It's she said, okay, everybody, just send me. It's on a Google Doc. Send me the accommodations that you have been denied in the past that are now being uh, readily made because of COVID nineteen. You know, so um, there's. I last time I checked, there's about sixty accommodations so far, and the idea is that it sets a precedent and mm -hmm. there's just there's no reason why they can't be made um you know for disabled people in the future after all exactly. of this kate we talked about the discrepancy the ease with which able-bodied people can get the accommodations that people with disabilities are often having to fight for so I did give you some warning. Why do you think this discrepancy exists? Is it really about cost because it's just one or two individuals in a class who might need an accommodation? Or does it come down to something a little more insidious? Let's say ableism. Yeah, I, th I think very complicated. And it's, 
the thing is, is there is a tiny bit of truth to the reasons that they use, even though they are ableist reasons. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there is there is a tiny extra cost. For example, there will be. So I understand how people who may be kind of ignorant to the fact that it is uh, ableist, mm-hmm. I understand how they can draw that conclusion. But a lot of the time, I mean, it's there's just many things in our in our media how disability is portrayed. Mm-hmm. For example, um, without the, the the disabled person, uh, very rarely, if ever, has any real agency. You know, in our stories, um, mm-hmm. they're usually used as as a prop, if anything, you know, mm-hmm. or as a a way to be have sympathy for the disabled. Right. Like it's, as a trope for to elicit pity, basically. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. So, so there's that, and there's also I, I'm realizing more and more that the myth around faking is is very prevalent in yes. our in our society. Mm-hmm. Um, it's totally false. It is a myth. The, the idea that if they allow a certain type of accommodation, people are going to fake their disability or fake to get it but when these 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 quote-unquote perks they're just basic accommodations just to get us to an equal playing field it's no more you know right so on that point about people being fraudulent or being perceived as fraudulent or faking their disabilities do you feel that the need for proof whether it's in an educational setting or in the employment setting, if you ask for accommodations, you must be able to prove that you genuinely need them. Do you feel that this emphasis on proof is also something that holds people back, not just from receiving, but even asking for accommodations? After all, right now, with able-bodied people getting all of these accommodations, the last I checked, no one's having to prove anything. Yeah, that's a very good point. There, I mean, I think it's certainly an issue, especially with our undiagnosed chronically ill uh, people, which there are many, I don't know the actual statistic, but I know there are many undiagnosed people that show symptoms that need to use mobility aids, what have you, but if they don't have an actual diagnosis, an actual disease that they can point to, sometimes doctors are unwilling to sign these documents or unwilling to, to you know, help them get what they need, whether it's... Mm-hmm. You know, the CPP pension or what have you. You know, just coming back to Twitter for a moment. I've been spending a lot of time in the last couple of days scrolling through Twitter and so many interesting reactions from people with disabilities. On the one hand, I've heard from at least a subset of the population that really takes umbrage with the fact that most of the conversation seems to be about we need to practice social distancing to protect people who are immunocompromised and we need to protect the elderly, but you don't really see or you don't really get the impression that the people who are immune compromised or the people who are elderly are getting a voice in the conversation. And, you know, we have this adage, nothing about us without us in the disability community. So how do we engage in dialogue that is inclusive, whether it's online or offline, that is inclusive of people with disabilities? That's a very uh, very great question. I think some voices in our community need to actually just reach out. And uh, unfortunately, it tends to be us doing the work around this mm-hmm. to be visible, you know, but that's just realistically where we are right now. But even, for example, this just, 
it's it's interesting. I've been seeing that a lot just in the last couple of days on Twitter online, just kind of how disabled people are talking. And even, for example, just me personally, our local grocery store just announced yesterday that the first hour that they're open, they're going to be open for seniors. And so I commented, I posted, and I said, oh, I'm assuming this is for immunocompromised, chronically ill people as well, or, you know, the, the people living with, the, you know, their care workers, their, their supporters or their family. And mm-hmm. the, the store wrote back and just said, well, it's the honor system, but it's for seniors. Mm. So I think, I really just think there's, there's, there is not enough education around it. And mm. I just don't think that people realize that it's an issue. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the other reaction that I've been seeing a lot on Twitter is people who are immune compromised saying, guys, you really need to think about us and practice social distancing and take it seriously. But it raises the question, at least for me, Kate, about people with disabilities who require attendant care or intimate care. What is the reality like for them when they are constantly dealing with caregivers who maybe go from home to home providing these essential services, whether it's bathing or food preparation? What's that reality like, do you think? Oh, I think it's very, very hard. Um, I think it's going to continue to be harder just in this period of self-isolation. I can't really sugarcoat it. You know, it. I would hope that, I mean... The care workers should definitely know by now. I'm sure they do um, in general. But, again, it kind of falls on the responsibility, falls on the, the disabled people to really make sure that those the people coming in and out of their homes are fully, um, you know, practicing all of the cleanliness techniques they can. And, mm-hmm. and still, you know, if they're sick at all, they need to stay away. So that therein lies the problem is that if anyone gets sick and they have to stay away um it's it's going to be very difficult and we can't assume i i think speaking of myths actually i i think there is also a myth that you know disabled people well they they rely on their families you know mm-hmm. or their friends can help them but that's not always the case like we we can't assume that every disabled person in canada has a family they can rely on you know, <laughs> so or maybe their family's in a different city, so that's not going to happen. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So those, I mean, those are the people that I'm thinking about most right now. You know. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking to Kate McWilliams, a disability advocate who is behind a trending hashtag on Twitter accessibility for ables kate is also the manager of a blog kate and crps.com I think, Kate, we can acknowledge that social distancing and self-isolation is hard for anyone. But I think it's fair to say that a lot of people with disabilities, owing to the nature of their disabilities, practice social distancing and self-isolation. What can people with disabilities teach the able-bodied community about making the most of this situation? There's been a lot of talk around this, and this is something I've certainly been thinking about lately because I'm I'm an expert at self-isolation you know for years we are the experts and we can help people get through this just to, to cope emotionally through this a lot of it is staying connected with your people on mm-hmm. the phone and on the internet and the thing that I've learned 
is to keep even a semblance of a schedule to actually keep routines is very, very helpful when you're stuck in your house 24-7. And I'm noticing I'm, I'm kind of just taking it easy and just being very, very kind to myself. Um, I know there's a lot of people that have anxiety and this is not a good time with underlying anxiety, you know? So, so really it's, it's the most boring advice, but it's the, it's the true advice is that whatever your, you know, mental health routine is, you need to double down and, and make sure you actually do it. Make sure you do those routines. Kate, thank you very much for being on The Pulse today. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Kate, stay safe and hopefully everything will blow over soon. Thanks a lot. That was Kate William uh, McWilliams, a disability rights advocate, who is the creator behind a new hashtag, Accessibility for Abled, and is also the creator of a blog, Kate and CRPS dot com. She joined us from British Columbia and talked to us about the the activism and the community. Uh, that has formed around her hashtag and some of the interesting issues that this conversation within the disability community has brought up. I really have a lot of things to say, but I'll start by saying what I've said always, which is that disability accommodations aren't anything special. It's just a part of normal human variation. And I think one of the things that COVID-19 and this situation, one of the, dare I say it, good things that might come out of it is that there will hopefully be more flexibility and greater empathy for the fact that not everybody works or lives in quite the same way. And so accommodations will hopefully not be seen as something special for individuals, but might become something that we see as relevant for an entire community to adopt flexible ways of being in the world. So I really hope that people who are likely to self-identify as able-bodied take this time to examine some of their biases around people with disabilities and accommodations. I think if you're a person with a disability, to echo what Kate said, this is a great time to form some new friendships and meet people on Twitter or online because they have shared lived experience with you. And I think we need to keep our critical hats on as a disability community. And once this is all done and over with, we really need to do the work of speaking to policymakers as well as educating the public to ensure a greater inclusion for people with disabilities. I hope that if you would like to spend some time listening to our podcast, you will find us on your favorite podcast platform. While you're there, don't forget to like, rate, or subscribe. You can catch my conversation with Kate McWilliams, as well as many of the previous episodes we've had on The Pulse. Head on over to ami.ca forward slash on The Pulse, where I'll have a few other thoughts to share with you. And of course, as we wrap up the program today, thanks going out to Kate McWilliams, our guest from British Columbia. The show is produced by Andrika Delanerol. Sam Robinson is our technical producer. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio, with special thanks going out to Paula Deneen, audio technical supervisor for enabling our remote broadcasts. We would love to hear from you. Find us on Twitter at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI. You can always give us a call. 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. Leave your thoughts there. We are still checking voicemail, but just leave us permission to play the audio on the program. Finally, if you want to go beyond 
a 280 character tweet, you can always send us an email, write to feedback at ami.ca. Whatever your means of communication, please stay in touch and be safe at this time. You've been listening to The Pulse on AMI-audio and I've been your host, Juwita Gupta. Be safe, everyone, and have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.